Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, May 22nd, 2023, the 852nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visitinglinktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So, 
Just to make a note of this before we get started, I know a lot of people are confused about what's going on with me and Telegram right now, and I understand that it is confusing. I was having problems with my phone last week. I took my phone in to get repaired. They basically swapped out the part of my phone that makes it my phone, which was essentially like getting a new phone. So in the process of restoring that, I could not get back into Telegram because I had two-factor verification on. The email that the two-factor verification was pinned to is an old email that has been deleted, so I can't receive email there. And it said if you can't remember your password and you can't receive email at that address, then your only remaining option is to reset your account. So I hit the button that says reset and immediately all of my Telegram account is gone. The channel's still there. The chat's still there. All of the data, I imagine that was my Telegram account before Saturday is still there. And I'm in the process of trying to retrieve that and get access to my old account somehow. I'm not sure if that is going to work. So in the meantime, I have Telegram. I just don't have access to any of the stuff that makes it my Telegram. So until I get that resolved, we're kind of just stuck here. So I apologize. Trust me, it's worse for me than it is for you. It would obviously be extremely unfortunate for me to lose all of that information and my channel and all the subscribers and everything else. Hopefully it will be resolved I don't know if it will or not, but if you've been confused by that for the last couple of days, that is your explanation. Speaking of problems with social media, it seems like the Washington Post may well have one of those. This is from Just the News this morning. Trump's social media firm sues Washington Post for defamation, seeks $3.78 billion in damages. Former President Donald Trump's social media company has sued the Washington Post for defamation over an article it published earlier this month and is seeking $3.78 billion in damages. The lawsuit by Trump Media and Technology Group, which owns the Truth Social platform, was filed Saturday night in Florida State Court in Sarasota County and accuses one of America's most storied newspapers of publishing a story of libel and slander that the suit claims poses an existential threat to the social media company. A spokesperson for the Washington Post declined comment on Sunday. We don't have a comment on this, Kathy Baird said. The suit alleges that the Post published, quote, an egregious hit piece that falsely accused TMTG of securities fraud and other wrongdoing and, quote, has been on a years-long crusade against TMTG characterized by the concealment of relevant information in its possession, end quote. WAPO's false criminal charges exposed TMTG to public ridicule, contempt, and distrust, and injured TMTG's business and reputation, the suit said. The legal action by the Trump firm comes just weeks after the Post won two Pulitzer Prize awards for its reporting last year, and Fox settled a $1.2 billion lawsuit brought by Dominion Voting Systems for $787.5 million. Now, the article in question is from the Washington Post on May 13th, 2023. The headline is Trust Linked to Porn-Friendly Bank Could Gain a Stake in Trump's Truth Social. 
an obscure financial entity with connections to a Caribbean island bank that bills itself as a top payment service for adult entertainment sites would gain a sizable stake in former President Donald Trump's media company if its merger deal proceeds. According to internal documents, a company whistleblower has shared with federal investigators and the Washington Post. Yet the role of the ES Family Trust would assume in Trump Media and Technology Group has never been officially disclosed to the Securities and Exchange Commission or to shareholders in Digital World Acquisition, the special purpose acquisition company or SPAC that has proposed merging with Trump's company. The companies have also not disclosed to shareholders or the SEC that Trump Media paid a $240,000 finder's fee for helping to arrange the $8 million loan deal with ES Family Trust or that the recipient of that fee was an outside brokerage associated with Patrick Orlando, then Digital World CEO. Where ES Family Trust obtained the money and who is behind the trust remain publicly unknown, omissions that unnerved some of Trump Media's top executives when they first learned of the loan in late 2021, according to Will Wilkerson, a whistleblower who at the time was the company's executive vice president of operations. Republican members of Congress and Trump supporters have complained for months that the SEC's year-long delay in approving the merger has been fueled by anti-Trump bias and a quote-unquote woke political agenda. Trump Media's primary business is the social media site Truth Social. But the financial tangle offers a possible explanation for why the SEC has yet to approve the deal, says Michael Olragi, a New York University law professor who studies SPACs. He called the deal unusual and rife with questionable decisions and potential conflicts of interest. This is definitely something that could cause problems, he said. At a minimum, if the SEC knew about this loan, it would insist that it be disclosed to digital world shareholders, and the company didn't even do that. So all of this is essentially rumor and innuendo. We are to believe that the whistleblower has given the Washington Post all of this legitimate information and that this isn't just a continued attempt to take down this merger and take down Truth Social, harm them in the future with whatever other ventures are attached to that. It will be very interesting to see where this lawsuit goes. $3.78 billion is an enormous amount of money. We are supposed to be upset now because... Trump is doing business with these supposedly shady characters, but we are not supposed to be upset about Bill Gates's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein or Epstein's relationship with Reed Hoffman of LinkedIn, who funded the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit and may potentially be financially backing Ron DeSantis's anti-Trump campaign. We're not supposed to be upset with MIT or Harvard or Noam Chomsky. We're not supposed to be upset with the illegitimate president's current CIA director, William Burns, who's an associate of Epstein, nor are we supposed to be upset with Catherine Rumler, Obama's fixer, who was involved with Epstein and now works for Goldman Sachs. And we're not supposed to be upset with Ariane de Rothschild, the banker associated with Jeffrey Epstein or any of Jeffrey Epstein's other associates were supposed to be mad at a guy that they can't name because his family trust, who is supposedly investing in TMTG, facilitates payments to porn websites online. And we're also not supposed to be upset about the fact that the illegitimate president's son has his own 
YouPorn channel where he hosts hardcore sexual content that he recorded himself with hookers. We're just supposed to be upset at Donald Trump. And the truth is, obviously, these articles are not for us. They're so other people can be upset with Donald Trump. And then when you bring up to them a Reed Hoffman or a Bill Gates with Epstein, they just get to say, well, what about Donald Trump as always? And they also get to throw a wrench in the gears as far as the SEC goes with this merger. So it's great that Donald Trump is suing them. I look forward to seeing what happens in this case as the facts come out. Now, we also know that Trump has sued the Pulitzer board for awarding Pulitzer prizes based on all of the fake news reporting that was done surrounding the Russia collusion hoax, which virtually everybody understands at this point is a hoax and is a coup. And we'll get into some of that later. He also has a lawsuit against CNN for $475 million based on claims of defamation and libel and fake news reporting designed intentionally to damage him. And so we'll see where all of this goes. Every time Donald Trump files a lawsuit, the mainstream media tells us that he has no chance of winning this lawsuit. It's just a bad lawsuit. This just isn't how the law works. Donald Trump is just clueless and his lawyers, they're all buffoons. And when anybody sues Donald Trump or indicts Donald Trump or even brings up rumors about something Donald Trump might have done or said that was untoward 30 or 40 years ago, then it's the walls are closing in. So the double standard in the media is obvious for us. We don't have to worry about that. We will just watch and wait and see what happens and keep on moving because the only facts that matter are the underlying truth of the claims, not whether or not courts will decide in our favor. We are very clear by this point that the legal system is stacked up against Donald Trump and the American people seeking justice in any circumstances. Now, speaking of Gates and Epstein, the Wall Street Journal has run another Sunday Epstein expose. I guess they figure Epstein news is the sort of news people would like to read at home while relaxing on a Sunday afternoon. So let's get into a bit of this. The headline is Jeffrey Epstein appeared to threaten Bill Gates over Microsoft co-founders affair with Russian bridge player. Jeffrey Epstein discovered that Bill Gates had an affair with a Russian bridge player and later appeared to use his knowledge to threaten one of the world's richest men, according to people familiar with the matter. The Microsoft co-founder met the woman around 2010 when she was in her 20s. Epstein met her in 2013 and later paid for her to attend software coding school. In 2017, Epstein emailed Gates and asked to be reimbursed for the cost of the course, according to people familiar with the matter. It's crazy. Did they not see this email? How was the Wall Street Journal not given this email that they are now reporting on? So what they're saying is that someone familiar with the matter, which means literally anybody, told them about the existence of of this email and what the email said and that the email was threatening Gates. The email came after the convicted sex offender had struggled and failed to convince Gates to participate in a multi-billion dollar charitable fund that Epstein tried to establish with J.P. Morgan Chase. 
The implication behind the message, according to people who have viewed it, was that Epstein could reveal the affair if Gates didn't keep up an association between the two men. Mr. Gates met with Epstein solely for philanthropic purposes. Having failed repeatedly to draw Mr. Gates beyond these matters, Epstein tried unsuccessfully to leverage a past relationship to threaten Mr. Gates, said a spokeswoman for Mr. Gates. Epstein was accused in 2006 of sexually abusing girls as young as 14 and pleaded guilty in 2008 to soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. He spent time in a Florida jail and was registered as a sex offender. After the Miami Herald reported on dozens more women who said they were abused, he was arrested in 2019 on sex trafficking charges. He died later that year in jail while awaiting trial in what the medical examiner ruled was a suicide. Gates, 67 years old, a technology advisor to Microsoft and one of its largest shareholders, said he met Epstein a few times only to discuss philanthropy, which he regrets and calls a mistake. Mila Antonova, the Russian bridge player declined to comment on Gates and said she didn't know who Epstein was when they met. I had no idea that he was a criminal or had any ulterior motive, she said of Epstein. I just thought he was a successful businessman and wanted to help. She added, I am disgusted with Epstein and what he did. The new details about Epstein and Gates reveal a layer of complexity to their relationship and shed new light on how Epstein operated. In the years between his 2008 conviction and death, Epstein packed his days meeting with politicians, businessmen, academics, and celebrities. He provided favors and sought to use the connections for his own purposes. And when the relationship soured, he could turn against people. Gates, with a net worth in excess of $100 billion and one of the world's biggest philanthropists, was among the most well-known names in Epstein's calendar. Starting in 2011, so after the world knew that Epstein was a convicted sex offender, Gates had more than a half dozen meetings scheduled with Epstein, including dinners at Epstein's New York townhouse, documents show. Gates flew on Epstein's private plane from New Jersey to Florida in March 2013, according to flight records. That same month, the two men met in France with an official on the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. They spent much of a day together in New York City in September 2014, meeting other billionaires, the journal reported. And so it goes on and on about how Bill Gates learned how to play bridge with his parents and loved playing bridge. So he met this young nubile bridge player and formed a bond with her while he was married. And then later, she somehow just knew Jeffrey Epstein while apparently still with Gates, who knows how she would have met Epstein? Probably from Gates. And then after Jeffrey Epstein, an extremely wealthy person who likes to do favors for people, like such as pay for your mistress's college fund so your wife doesn't find out about it, that sort of favor, he supposedly asked Bill Gates if he could be refunded for that money that he gave to the bridge player and then threatened to use the blackmail that he had regarding the bridge player to force Gates to give him more money. So that's what Jeffrey Epstein is. He's a guy who finds out that you're having an affair and then uses that to try to extract billions of dollars from you 
that he can use for himself. That's it. Oh, that's his blackmail program. Man, what a clever, clever individual just trapping these people with things that they did that aren't that big of a deal to anyone who hears them, especially not now because Bill and Melinda Gates have already separated and people knew that Bill Gates was doing those sort of things. Nothing has ever sounded more like a limited hangout than this. Now, as I say that, it's important to remember that there's kind of this inverted limited hangout phenomenon that we are witnessing where it's just disclosure in a slow burn. Like over time, we know that there's far more story to be covered by the mainstream media. But the villagers who have denied that any of this was an issue at all for years are introduced to the subject through these limited hangouts. So it remains to be seen what the net effect is going to be of this stuff. And over time, maybe we'll know if it's one or the other. But for now, all we know is that this story is presenting a very, very clean version of whatever could have possibly happened. And we know that there is much more to find out. Jeffrey Epstein's blackmail tactic was not taking down billionaires because he was mad that they didn't repay him a couple hundred thousand dollars that he spent on college for their young girlfriends. That's not the Epstein game as far as anyone knows it. Again, Epstein was already known at the time to have a problem with underage girls and was already a convicted sex offender when he and Bill Gates had this part of their relationship. Most people consider Epstein some sort of intelligence asset, not exactly clear which side he'd be on, but that his game was putting people in extraordinarily compromising situations and filming them in those compromising situations. That's blackmail, not telling your wife that her billionaire husband has a 20 year old Russian side piece. When high profile individuals are caught having affairs, they generally call it an indiscretion or say that they were sex addicts. They say that they're asking for privacy while they tend to family matters. And then they'll do some interview with Barbara Walters where the wife cries and the husband looks very embarrassed. And then they say that they're really working hard to patch things up. It's not the sort of things that world famous convicted pedophile blackmail artists exploit for a couple hundred thousand dollars when you refuse to join their philanthropy fund. The story is actually kind of ridiculous. And of course it is. The Wall Street Journal goes on for about 4,000 words to describe every last detail of how Gates and the card player met and how their lives intersected with Epstein. But the conclusion is, hey, Epstein is a really mean guy who was trying to screw over the world savior, Bill Gates, and Bill Gates is the real victim here. Now, last week, Carrie Lake had her trial in Maricopa County over the ballot signature verifications or the lack thereof in her election in November of last year that she won, but was awarded to Katie Hobbs. Her attorney, Kurt Olson, summarized their case as follows. 
Perry Lake and Katie Hobbs was decided by 17,117 votes. <laughs> that, however, is out of 2.559 million votes, a difference between the two candidates of 0.67%. The number of ballots at issue, whether the court were to set aside for illegality the 70,000, the 274,000 in a proportional manner, or in a underground B laws, proportionality is the standard. And under Miller, it could be a straightforward calculation. This election should be set aside. Your Honor, the election was unlawful. 16,550 was not complied with. Defendants don't dispute our expert. They don't dispute the evidence. Trust must be restored, Your Honor. Following the law requires acting in accordance with its expressed terms. It's that compliance that builds faith in the system. And it's non-compliance that destroys it. And just as you saw Ms. Onakai testify, she saw firsthand what goes on in Maricopa County during the elections. Same with Mr. Myers. As he said, the math didn't add up. Your Honor, we request that this election be set aside. Thank you. So again, the evidence that came out at trial was that according to Maricopa County's own log data, they had 274,000 signatures that were quote unquote verified in under three seconds. 70,000 of those were verified in under two seconds. And it was clear from video evidence that they presented that there was no way the people approving and verifying the ballot signatures could have possibly done so in the time allotted. In fact, they were just pressing the approve key over and over and over and over again as ballots just continued appearing on the screen. The defense says it doesn't matter. That proves the process was done and the process has been certified. Everybody says this is okay according to the rules put in place. And so that constitutes a free and fair election. And we'll see what the judge determines. I said on the podcast last week that no matter which way this decision goes, it's going to be appealed no matter what. If the judge decides against Kerry Lake, Kerry Lake will keep the fight going and appeal it even higher. And if he decides for Kerry Lake, obviously the regime is going to do everything it can to overturn that decision. We won't have a final verdict on any of this for probably months, but if the judge happened to decide in Carrie Lake's favor, that would be an enormous narrative shift because that would cue the country in immediately that something is seriously wrong with our election processes. And at that point, the mainstream media would have a hard time denying the claims and the evidence that Carrie Lake has produced in trial. Now, this morning, Representative Rachel Jones from Arizona tweeted this morning, all 15 Arizona counties received a letter from Senator Borelli informing them that they cannot use machines in the upcoming 2024 presidential election. The legislature has plenary power over federal elections. According to the U.S. Constitution, SCR 1037 is already in play. And Sonny Borelli's office 
put out a press statement on this today. The heading is Senate Majority Leader Calls on County Supervisors Statewide to Protect National Security During Future Elections. Arizona State Senate Majority Leader Sonny Borelli is notifying all county board of supervisors within the state of Arizona via letter today that they must first and foremost prioritize protecting national security during any future elections. Back in 2017, the U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security issued a statement clearly designating election infrastructure as critical infrastructure, which means these electronic systems must have safeguards in place to prevent any attacks which threaten our national security. This session, the Senate passed legislation that would have fulfilled federal government requirements to protect critical elections infrastructure. However, Senate Bill 1074 was vetoed by the governor. Therefore, with passage of Senate Concurrent Resolution 1037, SCR 1037, as just mentioned in that tweet, by the legislature and its transmission to the Secretary of State, the legislature is exercising our plenary authority to see that no electronic voting systems in the state of Arizona are used as the primary method for conducting, counting, tabulating, or verifying federal elections unless those systems meet necessary standards of protection. The federal government has made it very clear that elections equipment is considered a target by those who want to threaten the safety and security of our country, said Majority Leader Borelli. We have long ignored this elephant in the room by allowing electronic voting systems made with parts produced in countries considered adversaries to the United States to be used as the primary method for conducting our elections. It is in our state's and nation's best interest that we comply with the implementation of security measures to protect our republic. And I have to say, I like this angle. Who knows where this is going to go, right? Everything could be one thing or the other. This could be wonderful progress, or it could be a misdirection to cover up something else and create an all new problem that will not be resolved by the presidential election of 2024 and will end up with machines, but Republicans saying they did everything possible to stop the machines. Those are the options. But I do like that this is being addressed as a national security issue, and that should enter the discussion because it is important. And states have not only a right to protect national elections within the state, they have a right to expect other states to protect their elections as well. In fact, that's what the case Ken Paxton brought with 18 other state attorneys general after the 2020 election. That was the claim that because other states had not run their elections properly, Texas and these other joining states were being negatively and adversely affected by the actions of other states and that they had no recourse. Other states were distorting how the federal government should look based on stolen elections in those states. Now, Texas's elections are not the shining example of what should be done in our elections. They have machines. They have all sorts of different ways to abuse the process, and they do it every time. But states do have a vested interest in making sure that elections are properly run, and the nation has a vested interest in making sure that states' elections are properly run. And Sonny Borelli is pointing out that they have this duty to the nation to protect their elections. 
Our election systems have been deemed national critical infrastructure. They are important to the security of this nation, but nonetheless, states are choosing to run their elections with these machines that have parts made by adversarial nations and are affected by the interests of adversarial nations. Certainly the corporations involved are. Of course, none of this is new to anyone who listens to this show, but it's good that we're still continuing to see movement along these lines. There will be a legal contest for sure, but that's the pattern we're seeing with everything. And that's how this information flow works. These issues come up. Some action is taken. That action gets pressed forward in the face of massive resistance. The more that action presses forward, the more the media is forced to cover it, the more people begin to understand what the underlying issue actually is, and the more people come over to our side. I tweeted over the weekend that there is no way in the world that after two and a half years of all of this massive blowback and punishment for anyone who discusses the elections, anyone who pursues election integrity, there's no way in the face of that, that more people now could believe our elections are stolen at all levels across the country from our local level all the way up to president of the United States without there being overwhelming evidence to support it. People are not inclined to go along with the groupthink in our direction because they're not incentivized to. In fact, this is the direction where all of the punishment and suffering exists. People aren't saying that they understand the elections are stolen to increase their social standing. They're doing it because they have now, over time, looked at the evidence and understood what the problem is. And people don't believe that Joe Biden was legitimately elected. And major polling firms like Rasmussen are seeing that represented in their polls. As for Dominion, the National Pulse ran this headline over the weekend. Dominion CEO says company will soon collapse. We are not worth the hassle. John Poulos, the CEO and founder of Dominion Voting Systems, has mysteriously predicted the company's collapse as, quote, the damage Dominion has endured following the 2020 presidential election is just too severe, end quote, despite their Fox News payday. Poulos believes that regardless of the recent Fox News defamation victory, which saw the news outlet pay Dominion $787.5 million, the public outcry against the company will result in contractors opting to go elsewhere for their voting systems in the future. He believes, quote, whenever the next time a customer chooses to buy a new system, because every eight years or so you replace your voting system for obsolescence and for certification issues, they'll just say, man, it's just not worth going through the hassle just to buy Dominion. One example of this loss of confidence was the recent decision of Shasta County, California, to abruptly end its contract with Dominion. Polos told Time magazine, by accusing us of the greatest American crime in history, it turned us, as one of our customers has described, as the most demonized brand in the United States. Eventually, I suspect all of our customers will go a different direction. It's just a matter of time, he added. The company had originally demanded $1.6 billion from Fox, a figure 42 times larger than what its parent firm, Staple Street Capital, paid to acquire it in 2018. 
Dominion revenues for 2022 were forecast at $98 million. So Dominion, the company that has absolutely nothing wrong with it and does a perfect job in compiling our votes in elections all across the country, made $98 million in 2022, an extraordinary sum of money, by the way, and just received or is scheduled soon to receive a payout eight times that size, and the company is still going to go under. Now, what would happen when Dominion goes under? Well, they would just change their name and continue doing business in exactly the same way. They would just tell all the voters out there who are worried about Dominion systems justifiably that there is now nothing to worry about. You see, we're a completely different company. Now we're called own your vote. (laughs) They probably would change their name to something like that, by the way. So it'll be own your vote system. O-Y-V-S. That'll be their new name. Oives. And they will march right on stealing our elections for enormous sums of money. They also talk about how their machines have to be replaced due to obsolescence and updates in the software, but the machines really aren't more advanced than they used to be and have essentially the same software. They're running versions of software on those systems that are decades old and totally out of security compliance, and that is still just fine as far as our election systems are concerned. Now, last week, we saw the release of John Durham's report wrapping up his investigation, and a lot of the talk has been around the problems with the FBI. The mainstream media is treating this as an FBI problem, malfeasance within the FBI. The FBI says that these are all based on old practices that they've already remedied, so really there's no problem at all. A lot of that mainstream media coverage has been itself kind of a limited hangout to obfuscate what really happened in the Russiagate hoax, which is Hillary Clinton and her campaign with the DNC hired out attorneys and firms to compile this opposition research on Donald Trump, suggesting he was attached to Russia. He was going to be doing Russia's bidding and Russia was helping Donald Trump win the 2016 election. Now, Donald Trump was never briefed on background, a defensive briefing about any of that information, but John Brennan and James Comey and Loretta Lynch and Joe Biden and Barack Obama were all involved in a briefing on this in the late summer of 2016. They were all aware of the Clinton campaign's plot to frame Donald Trump. None of them lifted a finger to do anything about it. And the effort to get Trump that evolved from the Russiagate hoax continued after Donald Trump became president. They used some of it to take out General Michael Flynn from his role as national security advisor, and they continued it to spy on Donald Trump in the executive office of the president. They also, of course, launched the Mueller investigation. Throughout that time, people like Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell were on MSNBC and CNN constantly talking about the evidence they had that proved that Donald Trump and Russia had colluded 
there was none of that evidence. And some of the focus is now being turned to Schiff, but not primarily by the mainstream media. This is from The Hill on Thursday of last week. Florida Republican moves to expel Schiff from Congress. Anna Paulina Luna has filed a motion to have Representative Adam Schiff expelled from Congress in the aftermath of the Durham report, which she claims proves Schiff pushed lies about former President Trump's ties to Russia. Schiff, who was the top lawmaker on the House Intelligence Committee when Democrats held the House majority, has claimed in the past that Trump and his campaign colluded with the Russian government to influence the 2016 election. But the report by Trump-era special counsel John Durham released this week concluded the FBI did not have sufficient information to open an investigation into Trump's ties to Russia. He used his position on House intelligence to push a lie that cost American taxpayers millions of dollars and abused the trust placed in him as chairman, Luna said in a statement Wednesday. The Durham report makes clear that the Russia collusion was a lie from day one and Schiff knowingly used his position in an attempt to divide our country. The report did not recommend any new charges, but did offer a scathing review of how the FBI launched and carried out the investigation. It caps a four-year investigation by Durham. So once again, a news outlet pushing the point that the FBI is the key here. Not the coup, not Adam Schiff on the Intelligence Committee lying to America every night on the cable news, just the FBI. Schiff, who is running for Senate in California, pushed back against Luna's move to expel him, saying Republicans were attacking him for having the courage to stand up to Trump. I'm convinced when this dark chapter of our history is written, it will reflect that those Republican members who lacked the courage to stand up to the most unethical president in U.S. history, Donald Trump, consoled themselves by attacking those who did. Schiff said in an interview with MSNBC on Wednesday. So Adam Schiff still on MSNBC and always the victim. Durham spent four years trying to prove this deep state conspiracy theory that Trump kept telling his base was going to be proven, Schiff said. The whole thing, of course, was a big bust. And that, of course, is actually not true at all. There were not charges brought by John Durham, and a lot of people expected and wanted charges. And those people may be justifiably disappointed. As I said last week, I don't think that is what any of this is about. I think that they are providing a predicate for a RICO conspiracy racketeering case that will ultimately be brought. Do I know that? No, it's impossible to know that. But all the elements of what constitutes a coup and a crime against this nation exist in that report. And we see the same dynamic at play that I mentioned earlier in regard to the Trump lawsuits, because it's Trump suing. It's all unserious. But anytime someone goes after Trump, the walls are closing in. Well, the underlying issue is being ignored here as well, because John Durham didn't bring charges. That means that the whole thing was for nothing and a cover up operation. And that's proven by the lack of charges. But in the reverse, in the Mar-a-Lago instance or the Alvin Bragg instance or the Georgia instance, if Trump is even being investigated and then that investigation leads to some sort of indictment, no matter how unjustified, no matter what the underlying issue is, well, then Donald Trump definitely did it. 
There is no underlying principle here, and there is no attention paid to the underlying facts of any of these situations. All that matters in this instance is that Durham didn't bring charges. That's what most people are going with. And I suppose that if you were anti-Trump and wanted to ignore that obvious coup and ignore things like election fraud and everything else, and then go out and support someone other than Donald Trump, that's probably the position you would take. Now, speaking of Adam Schiff, Zero Hedge published this yesterday. Pelosi daughter carts failing Feinstein around in scheme to hold seat for Schiff. Already impaired by widely reported mental decline, Senator Dianne Feinstein returned to the Senate two weeks ago after a nearly three-month absence as she battled shingles. Last week, in a Capitol Hill encounter with reporters, Feinstein appeared to be unaware that she'd been gone from the Senate, declaring, no, I've been here, I've been voting. And that audio is really weird. She very confidently just believes that she has been present at the Senate for the entire time. Writing about the spectacle, we observed that a long overdue Feinstein resignation, quote, would go against the interests of her handlers, who'd surely like to keep their Senate jobs as long as possible. While that's certainly one reason to keep pushing a wheelchair-bound, mentally failing, and physically frail Feinstein around Capitol Hill to push voting buttons, a more complex conspiracy has emerged. Representative Adam Schiff wants her seat and desperately wants Feinstein to hang on through the 2024 election. Why is that so crucial to him? If Feinstein resigns, California Governor Gavin Newsom would appoint a senator to fill the seat until 2024. Newsom has already promised to appoint a black woman in that event, and one of Schiff's declared opponents is California Representative Barbara Lee. If appointed, she'd enter the 2024 race with the power of incumbency. Now, Barbara Lee was one of the women who was considered by the fake president, Joe Biden, to be his running mate before they chose Kamala Harris. Barbara Lee is essentially a career communist activist. The plot gets thicker. Nancy Pelosi has endorsed Schiff in the Senate race, and upon her return to Washington, Feinstein has been frequently accompanied by a mystery woman whom Politico has now identified as Pelosi's eldest daughter, Nancy Corinne Prouda. It seems Pelosi is using every resource at her disposal to keep Feinstein in office. Consistent with that, amid perfectly reasonable demands by Democrats for Feinstein to resign, Pelosi has been one of the 89-year-old senator's most vocal defenders. In April, she played the misogyny card, saying, I've never seen them go after a man who was sick in the Senate in that way. An unnamed Pelosi family confidant has essentially confirmed the scheme, telling Politico that if DiFi resigns right now, there is an enormous possibility that Barbara Lee gets appointed. Thus, it makes it harder for Schiff. The political thinking is that if DiFi stays as long as possible, it helps Schiff as well. The confidant also said the relationship between Feinstein and Pelosi's daughter was being kept under wraps and very, very closely held. Maybe it's a confidant with a conscience. For all of Democrats railing about saving our democracy, the propping up of Feinstein makes her chief of staff, the obscure James Sauls, 
a de facto unelected shadow senator. So let's just consider what it is these people are doing. And before we talk about the Feinstein element, let's talk about John Fetterman for a second. So John Fetterman is quite clearly a combination of two truths. One, stolen elections have catastrophic consequences. Two, untested, toxic, experimental gene therapies that can't protect people from diseases that can't kill them being injected into everyone has catastrophic consequences. John Fetterman is both of those things. He is the catastrophic consequence of stolen elections and the catastrophic consequence of untested experimental quote unquote vaccines. He had a stroke. He seems totally unable to process other people's speech or his own. And now he's just skulking around the halls of the Senate in a hoodie and shorts and giving press conferences next to other Democrat communist senators in suits. And everyone is supposed to take that seriously. It looks obviously like a public shaming campaign, not only of Fetterman, but the people who put him in illegitimate office. Similarly, Feinstein is in a wheelchair and her face looks like it's melting off. And I'm not trying to insult an elderly person here. It's just a fact that anybody can witness with their own eyes. She is deteriorating physically and mentally, obviously, if she thinks she's been in the Senate voting for the last three months. Either that or she's been doing it in the most clandestine fashion ever and no one knew it. But think of the political machinations here. They steal an election for John Fetterman, a guy that no person in their right mind and in good conscience could ever vote for. I don't believe there is any way in the world that Pennsylvania could have possibly elected John Fetterman in a fair, free and lawful election. And of course, they didn't. The key here is holding on to power. And it's the same in the Feinstein situation. They are forcing this decrepit old lady to continue pretending to be a senator until the end of next year so that they can give the seat to communist Adam Schiff rather than communist Barbara Lee. The whole situation is even weirder because this suggests that there is some contest now between Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi, who have generally always been on the same side of everything and have family ties that go back decades. And just to be clear, I am not suggesting in any way that this is only a Democrat thing. The uniparty right does this just as the uniparty left does it. It is just a pure, pragmatic, cold-blooded political calculation that has absolutely nothing to do with the good of the American people or the will of the American people. They just want to hold on to power, manipulate power, and hand that power off to whoever they choose. That's the point of this entire thing. And it's really blatant, just right out in your face for everyone to see. It would be nice if people would begin simply noticing what is in front of them. It does not even make sense to imagine that majorities of people are voting for this. Now, we've talked quite a bit about polling and how polling is at best an imperfect art. And at worst, just a front operation 
to convince the public that the public believes something the public clearly does not believe. But polling can still be valuable when tracing the progression and direction and building of public sentiment. The numbers themselves may not be an accurate reflection of what the American public believes, but as those numbers change in one direction over time, we can usually assume that public sentiment is headed in that direction. And that phenomenon often replicates itself in our own lives to the point where we can understand it on our own without ever knowing what the polling says. Glenn Greenwald had an interesting thread on this yesterday on Twitter. A newly released Harvard-Harris poll conclusively demonstrates how radically out of touch liberal corporate media is with the views of Americans. It's not just that corporate media rejects Americans' views. They don't permit those views to be heard. To start, majorities of Americans say it's false that Trump colluded with Russia. The Steele dossier is also false. In other words, they view the story the U.S. media aggressively centered for three years as a hoax and a fraud. Yet NBC and CNN won't even air this view. Americans also believe that the materials on the Hunter Biden laptop are real and are not and never were Russian disinformation. So again, Americans view the claim that the U.S. corporate media and CIA spread for weeks before the 2020 election to help Biden win as a fraud. And he cites in each one of these, the polling from that recent Harvard Harris poll, 59 to 41 is the difference. Do you think that the Hunter Biden laptop is real or is it Russian disinformation? Majorities of Americans also believe Hunter Biden engaged in criminal influence peddling using his father's name. The FBI is not investigating these crimes. Joe Biden participated in Hunter's illegal influence peddling and profiteering schemes. Majorities on all of those. The illegal influence peddling, 63% of Americans, according to this poll, believe that's true. Consider where we were two and a half years ago when that story first came out. Look where we are now. The directionality of this is only toward people understanding that the Hunter Biden laptop is real. And it shows conclusively that Hunter Biden was selling his father's name and office to our foreign adversaries and others. That number is never going to turn around and go the other direction. All of that represents progress. And if people can move their understanding on that issue, they can move their understanding on other issues as well. And on all of those, we see the directionality headed toward the true version of events, the things we have been saying for a very long time. Large majorities of Americans say they are not surprised to learn the FBI abused its power in the 2016 Trump-Russia probe to help Biden. Large majorities also say they are deeply worried about the U.S. security state's manipulation of U.S. politics and sweeping reform is needed. That is basically the understanding that we have a massive deep state and that something must be done to bring that to heel. That is one of the most basic 
justifications for Donald Trump's presence in political life and the necessity to have him back publicly recognized at least as the president of the United States of America. Large majorities of Americans have serious doubts about Biden's mental fitness to be president and believe he is too old. Unsurprisingly, then, Trump leads Biden by seven points for 2024 and Kamala Harris by 11 points. Can the media be more out of touch? And this is liberal, progressive Glenn Greenwald saying this. Glenn Greenwald is absolutely far more committed to telling the truth than his peers as liberals. And the guy is awake to some very important issues. He is not by any means fully red pilled. He understands that the media is totally out of touch, portraying this liberal dominated world that they believe exists. It doesn't exist. He goes on. The three political figures who are viewed most favorably by Americans are Elon Musk, Donald Trump, and Ron DeSantis. Bernie is next after them. Musk has by far the highest favorability gap, plus 14%. AOC's is minus 13. Mitch McConnell is minus 24. Only 40% of Democrat voters say they intend to vote for Biden in the Democrat primary. For whatever reason, the poll excluded the challenger near 20% RFK Jr. But even many Dems say Biden lacks mental fitness and they don't want to vote for him. Imagine being a Democrat voter and thinking that in 2020, your vote was to set everything right in the world. You would be done with the bad orange man. You were going to conquer racism. You were going to put the adults back in the room. This was a return to decency. Trump was a disaster. Everything that follows would be much better. Joe Biden is a moderate. He's a centrist. He's very responsible. He's going to keep the good things that Trump did. We're going to continue this path of progress, but without any of the problems. All these people told themselves that they were going to solve racism. Now, only 40% of them are even willing to vote for this man in the primary. And that's taking into account the fact that the media still protects him and has protected him the entire time. Even establishment Republicans, the uniparty right, protect Biden's legitimacy and pretend he really won the election. The media still tells us that Joe Biden is one of the most significant presidents in history and has done more than anybody else. This is an incredible record of success that Biden has. And despite that, his own voters, only 40% of them want him back. Remember when Donald Trump was getting 90, 95% approval among Republicans while he was president? Joe Biden is running on fumes. What's so striking here isn't that the corporate media relentlessly advocates views and ideologies that majorities of Americans, often large majorities, reject. It's that the views held by majorities are all but banned on NBC, CNN, The New York Times, and The Washington Post. Thus, this is not a mystery. And it's important for everybody out there to understand this because every week we get some good news and then we get some bad news. And it depends on what you focus on. If you're the sort of person that every time bad news comes up in your newsfeed, you immediately have an emotional reaction, think that everything is completely screwed and that 
you should have never believed that there was any reason to hold on in the first place. You've been stupid this whole time. There was no reason to think that anything else could be happening. It's all a disaster. Every man for himself until the country just spins out of control and everything goes down in flames. I mean, I guess that's the other option, right? People love to blackpill. They love to say, oh, I knew that those guys were wrong about what they're saying. Everything is horrible. It can't get better. We're just down this inexorable path toward our destruction. I mean, if that's you, okay, I don't know what to tell you. Again, you can't just take polls at face value, but if this poll is getting it wrong in a certain direction, it's toward them, not toward us. So you can be pretty well assured that whatever these numbers are, they're probably in actuality more in our favor. If everything was spiraling out of control and we were doomed, we wouldn't see a constant pattern of Americans waking up to all of this all the time over time. People are coming to terms with the fact that something is seriously wrong and it's seriously wrong for a reason. And that reason is not Donald Trump and it's not Donald Trump's supporters. So speaking of Donald Trump, Yesterday in Axios, this headline, Trump's 2025 vision revealed. Former President Trump's second term governing plans are coming into clear focus as he lays out a vision for a dramatic expansion of federal power, particularly the presidency. Ah, yes, that is what Donald Trump is trying to do. He's trying to amass all the power in the presidency. Utter nonsense right from the get go. In public statements, videos, and posts on his campaign's website, Trump complains about Washington's swamp, but lays out a plan that would give him as president more control of virtually every facet of life in America. And when they say things like that, you got to understand the relative nature of what they're saying. They're saying that Donald Trump, by reducing the power of the bureaucracy, of the administrative state in Washington, he's actually assuming all of that power for himself under the presidency. But that is not remotely true. Tearing down the administrative state and removing the bureaucracy to the extent that it can be removed does not give Trump more power, certainly not according to the Constitution. He's trying to give power back to the people and back to the representatives of the people where it belongs. We see some of these Supreme Court cases coming up, talking about how the Congress cannot just delegate its duty to enact laws to federal agencies and government bureaucracies so that these unelected appointed bureaucrats can just install rules and regulations and new systems that everyone in the country has to follow. That is how our country is being run right now. And it's absolutely insane. They're trying to make people believe that the teardown of the bureaucracy and the administrative state is all being done in service of Trump as dictator so that it becomes all of Donald Trump's power. That's not what it is. Trump's plans go well beyond the provocative promises he made during his recent CNN town hall to pardon nearly all of the convicted January 6th rioters. There have been about 500 and to immediately broker an end to the war in Ukraine. 
Such pardons would effectively nullify what Attorney General Merrick Garland has called the Justice Department's most far-reaching and important investigation in its history. And again, that is not even a logically accurate statement. It's not nullifying the investigation. It's nullifying the false prosecutions and the prosecutions on false pretenses and bad evidence to the extent that those exist. And we know that they do. Trump's comments on Ukraine were in line with his opposition to continued military aid to help that nation resist Russia's invasion. These moves would be extremely controversial, but generally within a president's authority. Much of Trump's agenda, however, would represent an unprecedented power grab by the executive branch driven by far-right conservatism and Trump's grievances. He wants to give the president the authority to hire and fire federal workers at will. Not a new idea, but now part of a broad effort to clean out investigators and officials he sees as disloyal or who have questioned his conduct. And again, that's not it. He wants to be able to fire federal employees who are terrible at their jobs and undermining elected officials like, for instance, the president. Trump, who's facing a range of criminal charges, said after he was indicted in New York that he wanted to defund the Justice Department and the FBI. That might have been an exaggeration, but Trump does want his brand of politics to reshape the Justice Department and U.S. intelligence. And as president, he actually does have that under his purview. So again, this is something that he can do. Restricting the funding of obviously out of control agencies, especially when they're the Justice Department and the FBI, is absolutely necessary and does not in any way constitute a power grab. They have to put up the fact that Trump is facing all of these charges in these nonsense investigations to make it seem like he's trying to save his own hide by bringing the deep state to heel. Again, madness. He's vowing to get rid of Marxist prosecutors and creating an auditing system to monitor U.S. intelligence agencies, quote, to ensure they are not spying on our citizens. Everybody wants that. That is a good thing. And he's talking about actual Marxist prosecutors. Axios puts little scare quotes around it. But George Soros has prosecutors installed all over the nation. District attorneys, attorneys general of states. That is actually a big issue and a big deal. He wants DOJ to investigate Big Pharma and the big hospital networks to determine whether they have, quote, deliberately covered up the long term side effects of sex transitions. Again, wonderful because that's what they're doing. He also wants to boot hospitals or providers from Medicaid and Medicare if they offer gender-affirming care. Wonderful. Taxpayers do not want to pay so that these hospitals and pharma companies can profit by transing kids. It's child abuse. It's genital mutilation. It's sickening. Trump wants to use the U.S. military to go after drug cartels and street crime. Again, wonderful. The drug cartels are an international issue and the consequences and the fallout from that international issue play out on the streets of our communities every day. He wants to eliminate an Obama era rule that requires cities and local governments to address residential segregation and poverty in order to receive federal housing grants. 
And what Axios is glossing over there is that Donald Trump is trying to protect the suburbs from having low income housing built everywhere. Oh, you have a nice house in the suburbs. Well, how about in the lot next to your house? We put up a 10 story building where we will house illegal immigrants and homeless drug addicts. Does that sound good? No. Donald Trump is trying to make sure that can't happen. That was the plan from Obama that Biden is still pursuing. His quantum leap to revolutionize the American standard of living includes baby bonuses to create a new baby boom and the design of 10 new freedom cities in the U.S. Oh, it sounds like he's really trying to empower himself there. Trump wants national concealed carry reciprocity, which would allow people with a concealed carry permit in their home state to have that privilege in any other state. And that is one of the most obviously necessary laws to have. If you have concealed carry in one state and you go to another state, you should still be able to protect yourself in that state, regardless of how many communists are in that state trying to change gun laws in violation of the Second Amendment. Trump is taking credit for the Supreme Court overturning abortion rights under Roe versus Wade, a decision made possible by three Trump appointed justices. But he hasn't said whether he'd sign a federal abortion ban, as many conservatives want, or embrace a law like Florida's ban after six weeks of pregnancy, one of the nation's strictest abortion laws. It was pushed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Trump's chief rival for the GOP nomination. Trump has said abortion is a losing issue for conservative Republicans, but he still wants their votes. And you got to love that. Axios just making it up. They want the conversation to be about a nationwide abortion ban. Trump explained that at length in the CNN town hall, and we went through it on the podcast. So if you're interested in where Donald Trump stands on abortion, you can simply listen to that. Many of Trump's ideas are outlined in broad strokes without details of how they'd be implemented or funded. That's the Axios reality check. And they finish their little article with what they're saying. What Trump is proposing for 2025 is the trappings of a democracy, but it's a Potemkin village, said Norman Ornstein, an emeritus scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and famed global regime stooge. So this article was meant to scare people about Trump's agenda. Trump was going to make himself even more of a dictator than he was in his first term. He's going to get all the power and center it in the presidency, even though none of that is true. We've been going through these issues for a long time. Axios and the rest of the mainstream media are very concerned about what a second Trump term might look like. What would Trump's presidency be if he actually has the ability to tear down the bureaucracy, the administrative state, and the deep state? They can't even imagine that future because that means that all of their plans are dashed. All of the progress that they have made infiltrating this country over the last at least 80 years would be gone. That's what the entire point of this is. They have built the bureaucracy out this large. They have expanded all of these executive branch agencies like the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Education, all of this. 
so that they can circumvent the Constitution and implement the global agenda as they do in countries all around the world. Donald Trump exists to stop that. And Axios is now freaking out because they understand that Donald Trump's not that far away from really finishing that job. And that job needs to be finished. People are realizing what has been done in this country and to this country. And the John Durham example, people think it's not enough, but those stories are going to keep coming out about what this coup really was, what this represents and how deep it goes. And it's got to eventually get all the way to Obama. Democrat voters are going to understand this too. I talked a couple of months ago about how Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s entry into the Democratic primary race was going to red pill and wake up a whole lot of Democrats. We've talked about his stances on climate change and how he thinks that the climate change agenda at least is taking advantage of things. And to that extent, a hoax. We've talked about his position on vaccines. We've talked about the potential future where Democrats rig their primary process so that RFK Jr. can't win or maybe can't even get involved and how that might wake up Democrats to the facts of our rigged elections. And now we have this. Um, the Democrats don't like and the mainstream media is not really talking about the Durham report uh, yeah. for me because I've been concerned for so many years about, um, you know, the, the uh, about the CIA's illegal uh, propagandizing American people, which it's not legally allowed to do. That report is appalling. Yeah. And it's not just the report and the guy who did it, which you can say, okay, you know, he had some motive or whatever, but, you know, it's the the transcripts of the conversations that the CIA yeah. and FBI agents were having where they were acknowledging that what they were doing was wrong, that it had no basis. And so you have the CIA coming in 50 CIA, top-level CIA agents who agree to collaborate in a project uh, to, uh, to fix an election yeah. and to discredit one of the candidates. And, you know, I'm not, I don't like Donald Trump. I don't, I don't think he was a good president. And he, and, you know, but, but people are allowed to disagree with that. And I can be friends with people who don't agree with me. And I can listen to their point of view. And, you know, we we need to apply rules across the board. Yeah, we, like, can't, just say, we can't just say it's OK to shut up Donald Trump. It's OK for CIA agents to, you know, to fix an election against him. Yeah, exactly. Gotta, there, there, it's, it's unbelievable how many people have this binary thinking, because I'll say something about this, like how, how uh, you know, horrible uh, uh, this this whole you know Russian investigation was, and people would be like, "Oh, so you love Donald Trump?" And yeah. I'm like, "No, I think Donald <laughs> Trump was a horrible president on many fronts. I think the like I will never forgive Donald Trump for funding the Saudi war in Yemen. I will never forgive Donald Trump for blowing up budgets in the reckless way that he did, and I will never forgive him for keeping Fauci as the head of the task force yeah. through all of 2020. Or how about, however, how about locking down the whole country? Yeah, and supporting it at least yeah. as the governors were doing it. However, I can also look at the information here." and go, look, it's pretty clear that this was a frame job. And what you have here is the, the intelligence uh, agencies framing the sitting president of the United States for treason. 
Now, I could spend the time refuting the things that Dave Smith, the comedian, is saying. This is his shtick. He does it on Rogan. This is what normies do when they want to talk about how bad Donald Trump is. They find some things that they don't like about Donald Trump, and they make them the most important things in the world. They definitely have the right story for sure about everything that Donald Trump did. But also at the same time, yeah, there was this coup going on and the media lied to us about it the entire time. But thank goodness the media only lied about that and not these other things that I still believe about Trump. That is an entirely indefensible position, intellectually speaking, but people hold on to it because they know it's not okay to say they like Donald Trump. That's how you get exiled from the party of false decorum. That's how you end up not going on Joe Rogan's show again. But let's ignore that for now. What RFK Jr. is saying about the intelligence community and what they did to Donald Trump, that's the important part. We can allow the villagers out there, and especially the ones on the uniparty left who know virtually nothing, to think that this is the story so far as it stands right now. Because the message ultimately being delivered here is that there is a deep state And they are out to get Donald Trump and whoever else stands in their way. And that's an important lesson for them to learn, because that is a foundational understanding that you have to possess if you are going to try to understand anything else about this. So for the villagers, at least step by step progress in the past, trying to catch up to the future. And hey, maybe they'll get there in time. Probably not, but maybe and maybe some of them will realize that what they've said and done and how they've treated people over the last few years has been terrible. Hopefully they'll start making up for it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!